Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. This is a special podcast one week after my last one in part two of a two-part series of 20 Secrets of How to Navigate Around an Addict. In this last episode, I'll be talking more about the secrets I've learned over the years, and I'll be directing my focus especially around self-care and remembering that if you or I don't have good boundaries in place, we may not always make the best decisions when it comes to the addict in our life. Welcome back, Jungle fans. I'm excited to be here on this special episode because there were just too many things to include all in one episode, and it can be really overwhelming to have all that information all at once. So it gives you a little bit of time to digest it and me some time to come back fresh and present each of the next uh, nine items that I have, nine secrets, uh, in the best way possible. Before I start, I do want to say we all know there's no guarantees. On a day-to-day basis, I have no illusion that I could be mistaken and Casey could have fallen off the wagon. She could have reverted back and be as addicted as she ever was. There are times where I think maybe that's happened. There's other times where I don't believe that's happened. And I'll never know for sure, but I really have to make sure that that's not where my focus is. Her sobriety is her sobriety. It's not my issue. It's not my problem. I can decide if I want to be a part of the solution, but I can't decide to take over for her and and do it for her. So these especially, these next nine secrets are the best way I've found in order to keep my head in the right space and focus in the right areas. All right, so here we go. Secret number 12, never offer to help with anything. You need to set boundaries that they have to ask for what they need, and there's no guarantees that you'll give it or do anything for them. They just need to know what they need and they want. This is a real growth thing. Most addicts have so much trouble asking for what they need. They wait for enablers to come and do it for them, and they don't have to ask. They don't have to do anything for it. The other part of that is that they tend to manipulate for what they want or need. And so it's a a tightrope navigating through the area, figuring out, are they manipulating or are they truly, genuinely asking for something they need and it's not something they can do for themselves. It's something only I can provide for them and it will make a difference in them being able to continue their sobriety or maybe get to sobriety. So this is one of those murky areas that's really hard to distinguish. And many times you won't know if you did it right until after the fact. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. 
but I just have to keep learning every time I do it and try and figure out where is the correct way for me to do this. Secret number 13. If you, if you are married, you need to protect your marriage. Bottom line, I don't know how else to say it. Marriage is so important and it provides stability for your children and it comes before anything else. That's really it, plain and simple. So I'll move on to secret number 14. Get out of your head. Stop that film reel that keeps replaying over and over. Is it just me? I mean, I take these scenarios and I start thinking about them and I I keep reliving it, seeing if I can create a different ending, seeing what did I miss? What what was it that created that scenario? Why did it get so out of hand? And while yes, reflection is really good and it helps me understand things that I'm missing, things that I did wrong, when it gets to be obsessive, when I get to do it all the time and it's just overwhelming, then it's too much. And there's other things I can do to get out of that. I can write in a journal. I can do yoga. I can do meditation. For me, I like to pray. Anything that works um, to, to reflect and learn from what I did right and wrong is appropriate. But this obsessive need I have to understand it and by understanding it, maybe I can fix it, make it right. That's never going to happen. And so I need to get over that. I need to understand that. And once I know that for a fact and I've come to accept it, then it's easier for me to reflect on it and then move on. Because I know at that point, I've got it buried deep down inside me. Now I know I can never fix this. It's not something I have control over. And I think it really does boil down to that need for control, that need to feel like I can do something to make this different. And I really can't. Secret number 15 is another one of those that I have to get out of my head. And that's understanding that I'm never going to have the relationship that I kept imagining. I, I need to free myself and Casey from those bonds that kept us tied to the image of when she's well, we're going to have this amazing mother-daughter relationship. It's going to be like what I see in the movies and on TV with Gilmore Girls and all of that. It, it's not going to be. There's our relationship is going to be what it is. It's sometimes good. It's sometimes not great, but it's going to be its own relationship and it's never going to look like what it does in the TV or movies. They have all such perfect endings and they love each other all the time. Even when they're arguing, you know, they love each other. Maybe I don't always know that, but I know that deep down Casey loves me. I can't always feel it, but I know it. And yet it's a difficult relationship some of the time. And I just have to accept that and accept that's how it's going to be and never, ever expect that it's going to be different. Okay, secret number 16. I have to kind of set the stage for this one. So you know how when you're watching a movie and you see the plot starting to thicken and things are getting set up for something big's going to happen. They're getting ready to do a heist or whatever it is. 
Sometimes I get the same feeling when I'm dealing with Casey. As I start to see the way she talks to me is different, her moods are different, just things are different. They're out of sync from when she was doing better. And I start seeing a downward spiral and things start looking like there's going to be a problem coming up. And so I have to really pay attention to that because I get this nagging feeling that something's wrong or going to be wrong and I have to step in and fix it before disaster happens. And I can't be doing that. I mean, if she sets herself up for failure, if she does things that I can see around the corner and know that it's going to be a problem, I have to let her do it. And I have to let her fail in order to pull herself out and let her know that I believe that she's strong enough to do it, that she can handle the situation. Because me stepping in and doing it is saying, I don't trust you. I don't feel like you're old enough, strong enough, mature enough to be able to handle your own situation. And instead, by letting her handle it, I'm saying, yes, I believe that you have the know-how, you have the ability and the maturity where you can handle this appropriately. If you get yourself into a bad situation, you need to get yourself out of it. And the other thing that this does is it keeps from giving them an excuse to blame me for their situation. Because once I step in, once I try and help out, once I start giving that advice, and advice is one of the big things that that I have to keep myself back from doing. I have to let her do most of it. Sometimes I'll tell her what I might do in the situation, but it's in no way a directive that she has to do it. And if I don't, if I do start saying, you need to do it this way, this is what needs to be done, and this is how you'll handle it, then she absolves herself of all responsibility, and she can turn around, and and when she doesn't do it exactly the way I say, anyway, or if she does even, and something bad happens, then it's my fault. I'm the one who told her how to handle it. I'm the one who told her what to do, and I gave her an excuse to blame me. So she really needs to take that initiative to grow, to mature, to handle her own situation and to understand next time that if she gets herself in that situation, it's going to be up to her to get herself out of it. And she's going to have to really figure her way through it. Yes, I can be a sanding board or whatever, but she's got to really do the work for it. And that's the only way that she's going to learn next time that this is what happens if you make these kinds of decisions. She may still continue to make those decisions, but then she's going to still continue to have to get herself out of them. Secret number 17. Now, this is a building block on an earlier secret because once she's able to come and ask for something that she truly needs, I have to be open and I have to be able to listen to the requests and her explanations And then once I hear it, and I I mean really hear it and not jump to conclusions, I need to trust my best judgment. Um, In the past, I've followed advice from recovering halfway houses, even if it didn't make sense to me. And then I had bad outcomes from it. And what I realized is everyone has their own agenda for saying whatever they're going to say and doing whatever they're going to do. And with halfway houses and recovery houses, 
These are all usually run by people who used to be addicts. They're still in recovery, and they still have their own issues. So they're going to sympathize more with the addict than they are understanding your side of it. They've never been on your side of it. And so you really need to know what what's appropriate and what isn't. And, and you won't always. And so you just have to take past situations that are as similar as possible and apply them to this and say, well, if I do the same thing here, what outcome did I get before? That's the best advice I can give on that one because they, everything's a new territory and it always feels like it's something brand new. But going back to one of the earlier secrets of giving yourself the time to reflect and make sure you talk it over with someone and you talk and you think about it to analyze and see if if your solution really does make sense if what she's asking for is appropriate and or whether it's just more enabling behavior secret number 18 after years and years of the same patterns of communication if i grow and change my new patterns may not be heard the same with Casey. If, if she's growing and learning and, and in recovery and doing what she needs to do, she may be talking to me in a new way and I may still be hearing it in the same old way. And sometimes that's really hard to know that we're doing that. Um, the way that I found out that, that we were both doing it was through a counselor we were in therapy together and that was hugely beneficial because what happens in therapy is that when I say something and Casey hears it in an old pattern and not the way I'm actually saying it, the counselor takes my words and will reframe them and present them to Casey in a way that she can hear it differently. Number one, because it isn't me saying it. And number two, because her word patterns are different from mine. And so it opens Casey up to hearing it differently. So sometimes the only way around some of these old patterns are to get a counselor or someone who's a really good arbitrator to step in and be able to interpret for both of us. And we both have to be willing to listen to that person and understand that we are falling back on old patterns and listen to ourselves and understand that we need to change the way we listen because it's not just the way we speak to each other, but it's also the way we listen to each other. Secret number 19 is really the heart of the self-care and that's where you need to be in a community that you can talk about this without judgment. You need to find people who you trust, who will listen to you without judgment, without criticism, and without those looks that you get of, of um, them thinking that you weren't a good parent. You can just feel it. And you really need people who understand what you're going through. And if they haven't been through it themselves, who are at least able to have an open ear, a kind heart, and a soft place for you to talk about things and um, just bounce ideas off of. It makes a big difference. And it really is life-changing to find someone like that. I... 
one of these things I should warn is to be careful though, because it's easy to take advantage of someone who's so kind hearted in that way and able to give you that support that you need, that it can be overwhelming to them. And it's a way you could lose a friendship. But if you can find a group or just a couple of people and temper it with a genuine friendship where it's a two-way street, it's invaluable. And that is so important when you're in this kind of situation because it's such a heavy situation and so difficult. Finally, secret number 20. And this is no secret at all, but none of us are perfect and no one can do this perfectly. Give yourself grace and don't dwell on your shortcomings. Just learn from your mistakes, even if you make the same mistake again. And just remember, there's no shame in having this disease in the family. And you wouldn't be embarrassed if you carry a cancer gene. Okay, enough said on that. I do want to send, before I end tonight, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I noticed that my listening base is starting to grow and I really appreciate it. I thank you to all of you who are finding it helpful and recommending it to your friends. If you would please leave a five-star review, if you think so, at your local podcast site, I'd appreciate it. Um, and if, as always, if you want to chat with me or have any questions or anything like that, you can reach me on Twitter at Chelsea's Jungle. Thanks so much. And I will look forward to talking to you in two weeks. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater. <laughs>